morning. You're on Blog Talk Radio with Attorney Vincent Davis, and the name of this show is Get Your Kids Back Now, The Secret to Fighting CPS. Today we're going to be taking some calls, and we're going to be talking about um, prepping your case for trial. There is an opportunity for you to have a trial at several different stages in your juvenile dependency matter. Interestingly enough, the the trials, the first trial that you can have is what is called a detention hearing, and that happens on the first day uh, that you go to court when you have your first detention hearing. What a lot of people don't know is that uh, at that hearing, you can have um, a mini trial where your attorney can cross-examine the social worker. Uh, who who wrote the report to have your children detained against you. Uh, The second trial that you can have is what's called the adjudication and the disposition hearing. Uh, At that hearing, uh, you are allowed to um, call witnesses, present evidence, cross-examine witnesses on the other side, and basically present a case as if it were a regular type of trial. The third um, time that you can have a trial in a juvenile dependency matter is at what's called the six-month reviews. Generally, there are at least one, two, or three six-month reviews in some cases. At those uh, six-month reviews, the social worker has to prove that the child should not be returned to you, and you can have a trial, just like you had a trial um, at the adjudication and disposition, you can call witnesses, you can cross-examine witnesses, you can present evidence, uh, and the judge has to make a decision. Generally, at each phase of these hearings, if the court does not rule in your favor, um, there is an appeal process, and uh, that generally takes place in the uh, California Court of Appeals system. Right now, we're going to talk a little bit more about the trials, but right now I'm going to try to take some calls. We have a lot of people waiting in the queue. So the first call is going to be from area code 971, ending in 36. Hi, hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm I'm okay. How are you? I'm I'm a mom of a, a dependency case, but I'm in Oregon. Oh, is your case in Oregon? Yes, it is. Okay, well, I just have to give you a preface, a, a warning. I'm a licensed California attorney. And although the systems probably are similar, uh, I can only give you an advice as if your case were in California. Okay. Having, that, said, that having, said, having said that, did you want to tell us a story or ask a question? Um, I did want to ask a question. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, I'm I'm just wondering how I would go about um, demanding my children back um, and having my case dismissed um, if if evidence is my children's statement, um, but their exams have been within the 24 hours, which the doctor is stating no signs of abuse or neglect. Uh, okay, so the, the evidence is the, the children, um, is what they're saying. I haven't heard this. From them. 
How old are your children, and what are they saying? I have four children. They're six, three, seven, and my oldest is 14. And is your uh, 14-year-old making statements against you? Yes. That is where it started. And then after they've had them, it's been all of them are saying it now. When did they first take your children away from you? (sighs) Back in March. March. um, March 17th, uh, right before my oldest daughter's birthday. Mm-hmm. Are, are you represented by an attorney in this case in Oregon? I am. I'm just having trouble getting the information or feeling that I'm being taken care of because I have representation. But I don't want to fire her if, if uh, she's doing all she can. I just don't know what to do. Uh-huh. Um, is she a court-appointed attorney or privately retained attorney? She, she was court appointed. Um, however, um, I couldn't get her on that day, so I actually obtained her. But she is court appointed as well. Okay, I didn't follow that. You said she's court appointed, but you retained her. Yeah, I I, um, I found her on on the internet, and then I found out that she actually was a court appointed after I obtained her because she wasn't there on that certain day. They they rotate days. Uh-huh. I see. They do yeah. something similar to that in California and some of the smaller counties. Um, yeah. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you this. What you should do is you should first call or email your attorney and uh, tell her that you need to have a meeting with her. Okay. And you know she needs to come up with a strategy for you, or you need to discuss a strategy with her. Um, that's going to get you what you want. Um, okay. I I assume um, that in Oregon, it's similar to California, that at some point you're going to have to have a trial or you've had a trial. Is that correct? Yeah, I have one coming up. Okay. Now, is this your first trial? Um, I believe so, yeah, because I've had all the others that you're you're speaking of, where DHS first came in and I've had a hearing and then they've had different, um, different hearings up until that, until this new estate. Mm-hmm. I believe this would be the first trial, yes. Okay. Well, generally, and, and it kind of matches what it, what our topic is today and what you should do, and this, is, this probably applies in any jurisdiction, but specifically in California, what you need to do is you need to have a meeting with your attorney. You both need mm-hmm. to develop a strategy. You have to be explained the process and the laws there in Oregon. Then what you have to do is you have to determine, you have to find out through some type of formal or informal discovery process, who are the witnesses that are going to be called against you and, you know, generally what they're going to say. And what what you've told me, the witnesses that are probably going to be used against you at the very least, and again, I say at the very least because I don't know enough about your case, it's going to be the Mm -hmm. social workers and then your children, because you said that your children are all making uh, negative statements about you. So they'll be called yes. as witnesses. According to the paperwork, and, right, yes. And then um, your attorney and uh, the other attorneys on the case, as well as maybe even the judge, will have an opportunity to cross-examine those witnesses while they're under oath. So, for example, what has happened when I've been involved in cases where a child allegedly says ABC and I talk to the parent, the parent tells me, you know, there's no way that my child said that. 
my child said X, Y, Z. And, you know, sometimes that becomes crystal clear at the trial, but you'll never know that unless you put that child on the stand and cross-examine the the, the child. Um, I don't know under uh, uh, Oregon law um, if, you know, what their rules and regulations are with respect to calling children as witnesses. In California, in juvenile dependency states, you have the right to, constitutional right to call um, a child witness as a witness and cross-examine or examine that child. Uh, Sometimes it's done out of the presence of the parent. In other words, um, the the child's testimony is taken in the judge's chamber. Uh, in, in Los Angeles County, you can watch that as a parent on the television, and, and you know you can hear and see the video live of the child testifying. Um, so I don't know how they do that. You know, of course, yes, in I, Oregon. I believe it's similar. Okay, so um, in the trial, also you'll probably be able to um, present defense witnesses or, you know, alibi witnesses to exonerate yourself. Uh, so I would imagine that you'd be testifying as well, and perhaps you have other relatives or friends or doctors or uh, social workers or therapists who might be getting on the stand testifying, um, you know, that the child is not telling the truth. Um, for example, there may be a school teacher that knows something about your 14-year-old. There may be a school counselor that knows something about your uh, 14-year-old or any of your children. And these are the areas that I think you and your attorney are going to have to explore um, to make sure that you have a full and fair trial. It's very yeah. easy to do these. It's very easy to do these types of cases um, without preparing the case for trial and that's where the problems come in because sometimes an attorney will show up to court they will not have met with their client they will not have developed a real strategy they will not have subpoenaed witnesses that should be there and look if it's like california if oregon is like california in california you're going to have one shot at this so you got to make sure the shot that you the shot that you take at this trial, you're fully prepared and your attorney's fully prepared. Now, your attorney may have a whole different strategy than what I'm talking about now because your attorney knows more about the case uh, than I do and she knows about Oregon law. So if she has a different plan than what I'm talking about, you need to be informed of that and you need to be on board with that because hopefully she's going to do what's best for you, you know, in this situation. Do you have? Uh, do you communicate with your attorney regularly? No, um, I've maybe talked talked to her three three times, um, and I've met with her one time in her office right after the case. And, and like I said, I I feel that she doesn't believe me, or or I I don't know. I just feel like she's working more with DHS than myself. Well, that's not a good. Yeah, so I'm just I I just miss my kids, and like I said, I have four of them, and and the visitations I've 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 gotten more visitations, but still, it's just not enough for for four kids. Let me ask you this: Are your children placed with friendly relatives or friendly thank God, friendly thank family God, friends? Yes, they are. Yes, they are with my mother. My mother, okay, she actually you get along? worked full time, and she um she became a foster parent immediately after this happened, so that they wouldn't have to go into foster care. Well, that's a very big plus for you. I assume you get along yes, with your is. mother. Yes, it is. 
Yes, we okay. do. Now, <laughs> you, you, now, you were saying you're not getting enough visitation. It would seem to me, and I'm also talking about California law again, in California, when, rel- when children are placed with friendly relatives, I try to get a court order from the judge that says that, you know, you can visit as much as you and the friendly relative agree to and work out. The social worker, and and generally that order is granted as long as you tell or keep the social worker in the loop and informed as to how much and how often, you know, and how long your visits are each week. Um, Do you have that type of situation in um, Oregon? No, no, I have to see them at the agency, and I I get to see them one time on the weekend today um, with my mom um, at her her home, but um, I don't know how to change it. I've requested it multiple times with my attorney and the agency to to see about helping my mom out and and doing the visits there, but they said it's just not time. They haven't seen enough information, or they haven't seen, seen me visit enough. So do mm, I need to have an order to change that? Yeah, you might talk to your attorney about trying to get an order. Again, I don't know okay. if you can do that in Oregon. Um, if if you were in California, you could do something like that fairly routinely. Um, but that's something you need to talk to your attorney about and to make sure that, um, uh, you know, you're, everything is being done to help you reunify these reunify with these children. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes in California, the social workers don't want you to visit a lot in the beginning of the case because you, they think that that may persuade the children to testify a certain way. Right. And, and either, yeah, be, either because either because the children are going to suddenly tell the truth because they're seeing you more or the children are going to be persuaded to lie because they're seeing you more or you're going to convince the child not to testify against you. And and, and social workers, you know, that's what they're thinking and that's, you know, they're trying to win a case. And maybe Mm -hmm. sometimes I get the feeling, at least in California, that's why they try to minimize your visitation. Uh, in yes. my opinion, that's that that's the worst thing that can be done for the child, no matter Absolutely. what you've done, you know, or allegedly done in California. Yeah. Uh, the period, I mean, in this period of time which you'd be in, it's called family reunification services, and they're supposed to be providing you, if you were in California, with counseling, with conjoint counseling with your children, uh, providing you a parenting class, teaching you how to be a better parent, all of these different types of services, if your case was in California, you'd be provided. So I I, I would assume that it's like that in and, Oregon, but I don't know. Yeah. But that's yeah, something. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and they have not. They said it I admit to allegations, I cannot, um, they cannot make a plan or give me any type of services. So it's been real difficult. (laughs) We're at a standstill. Well, I would definitely meet with your your attorney because that doesn't seem right. Um, You know, in California, that's not the law. That's not the law. You don't have to admit anything in order to get services. I don't know if that's the law in in Oregon, but it seemed to me that that might have, if it was the law, it might violate some of your federal constitutional rights. Um, Because I don't know if you know this, but this entire juvenile system is based upon federal laws from the Department of Health and Human Services uh, and regulations. And the last time I looked... The last time I looked, the, the national regulation and, and the law was, you know, no matter what, you have to give family reunification services to um, 
to the parent. Although, you know, I, we, pra- we practice in, in different counties around California, and I, we just did a case in a, in, a, in a, you know, I'm in Southern California. We did a case in Central California, and they did something really weird there, and, 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 and they don't even consider placing a child with a relative until after the disposition hearing. And I was talking to the attorney who was working on the who was working on the case, and I said, "Well, that violates California law, and it violates, you know, um, probably some constitutional rights of both the parent and the children." And we are now looking into filing a lawsuit against that county to make them comply with what um, we believe California law says. And California law, in our opinion, means that you have to place the children with relatives or close family friends, they call them nephrims, uh, right at the beginning of the case. There's no waiting yeah. period. In this particular case, it took about three or four months to get to the disposition hearing. And then mm-hmm. at, the, uh, at the disposition hearing, and I wasn't there, another attorney from my office was there, but the attorney told me um, that they used the fact that the children had been in foster care so long as a reason not to place them with relatives. <laughs> and that was just, you know, that's almost, you know, that's to silly. me that was crazy. So yeah, now that's we're con- silly. We're consider- it could be harmful to the we're kids. Talk- right. We're talking about probably bringing a lawsuit against this county to try to force them to place children with the county, excuse me, with relatives, uh, you with know, at the very beginning right. of the case. Good for you. But I, but, but the attorney told me something like, "Oh, this is the way they do it. This is the way they've always done it." And I was thinking, "Oh my God, how many people and how many children have been harmed by this yeah. policy just just because the way the way they do it?" I, right. I've been yeah. Told no, by that's, people, that's really sad. Very very sad. I've been told. I've been told by people all around California in many different counties that they can't get copies of their you know, their court file, they can't get the minute orders, they can't get the reports that are filed with the court by the mm-hmm. social worker. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, that's that's illegal, that's wrong. But apparently a lot of uh, counties, uh, not a lot, a few that I've heard of counties have those procedures or they have uh, procedures that create some sort of stumbling block um, uh, to getting uh, minute orders or things from your court legal file in Los Angeles yeah. County, I was just told I was just told by two attorneys in my office that there's a new policy. You can't go to the clerk's office and get a copy of the, for example, of a minute order. You have to fill out what's called an eight two seven petition. It has to be granted or not granted, and then they'll send you the minute order within a week. And I and I thought. You know, wow, what an inconvenience that is. Maybe mm-hmm. that's going to cut down, cut down on the number of people that go to court and ask for copies of minute orders, and ask for copies of the report. But I was, I was telling one of the attorneys in the old days, because I've been doing this many years, there was a statute or a law that required the clerk of the court to mail you copies of the minute order if you were the attorney of record and um, one of the parents. And for years, so nice. you know, yeah, for years, you know, we would get these minute orders in um, in the mail, and, you know, it was quite burdensome, I have to admit, to file on all of those things in the proper file, but you'd get the minute order. You wouldn't have to work, wait or, you know, go ask for it specially. And then they stopped doing that. But, 
you could go to the clerk's office and at any time you could send your client or you could you yourself could go to the clerk's office and get a copy of the minute order. So it was no big deal. Okay, they stopped mailing. Maybe they're going to save on labor and postage and envelopes and everything like that. And, you know, no problem. Okay, nobody's going to complain. But now, now you just can't show up. You've got to show up, fill out a form, and you've got to wait a week before you can get it. And in this particular case, it's very time sensitive and, you know, it was regarding a new client. We can't wait a week. We had to do something within that week. We had to file something. And if we're not going to get the minute order for a week, the client is going to be severely, um, you know, handicapped. And we were taking over the case from another attorney and the attorney routinely, um, you know, is a court-appointed attorney, and routinely attorneys don't have copies of the minute orders because they're not mailed anymore. So I was going to do some research this weekend to find out if you, you know, if you if the, if the law still says that the minute orders have to be mailed to uh, the attorneys of record and to the social workers. They have a system in, um, I believe it's San Bernardino County, where if you are a court-appointed attorney, and there's a process if you're a private attorney to get this as well, uh, I think everything that's filed with the court in that case is automatically emailed to you. You know, they're using technology oh. out there, and, and you oh, know, wow, things yeah. are just, just sent to you digitally. Uh, which is a great thing because if you get the reports digitally, the, the social worker doesn't have to mail it to you. If you get the uh, minute orders digitally, you don't have to go to the clerk's office and bother them to get it. And, you know, if you're the attorney of record, you know that everything that's emailed to you is um, confidential. So right. Yeah, I, I do IT and I've, um, I, I, you know, I'm real good with computers, but um, yeah, no, I think that would be awesome. I mean, I haven't had the opportunity to get those records i i've asked for them but um they're private apparently yes but it would seem to me no matter where you are that there's some type of federal or constitutional right that you have a right to get your minute orders you have a right to get the reports you have a right to get anything that was um filed in your case so i think that will be the next thing that i research on because i've I've done so much research for Oregon and federal law, I feel like I, I could be an attorney myself. <laughs> I've really poured my heart into this. Well, ma'am, I wish you luck. Um, and Thank and you. I think the key, to, I think your key to your success is getting with your attorney, who apparently is experienced and has knowledge of Oregon juvenile dependency law, sitting down with her, making up a plan, and, uh, you know, implementing that plan. Yes, I will do that. Thank you so much, Vincent. Thank you. I have one last question for you. You're in Oregon. Yes. How did you hear about our How did you hear about our show? Um, I have an advocate that I've been speaking with. Um, she's actually a divorce course, or, uh, excuse me, divorce coach. Her name's Catherine. Mm-hmm. And she recommended oh, that yes. I. Um, yeah, she recommended that I look up your talk show and and see if uh, if, you're, if you any of you were able to represent me in Oregon, but I called and you were not. But I still wanted to call in. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Catherine has been on a, a guest on my radio show on Wednesday evenings. On Wednesday evenings, we have a radio show uh, from 7 to 8 p.m. called uh, Divorce and Family Law Talk Radio, where we take calls, answer questions, um, talk about, uh, you know, uh, things in the news, 
uh, this past Wednesday, we focused the entire show on um, uh, the divorce between Johnny Depp and uh, his strange wife and everything that was going on there. But Catherine was a guest on that show, and she's going to be another. She's going to be a guest, I think, later on this month on that show. So if you're oh. interested, uh, please listen in on Wednesday nights. It's the same, you know, uh, talkradioexperts.com. And you can call in on the same number, um, but uh, but one thing I wanted to mention to you, although I'm licensed in California, and that's the only place I'm licensed. Some attorneys are licensed in more than one state, uh, mm-hmm. but not a lot. But I'm only licensed in California. But um, I have done cases outside of the state of California. Attorneys are sometimes allowed to practice in another state on a limited basis through something called pro hoc vice. And what happens in if you um, appear pro hoc vice, <laughs> what you do is you ask um, permission of the court um, if you can practice there, and there's some type of application process. And um, you team up usually with a local attorney who's licensed in the state. For example, a few years ago, I represented someone in a criminal matter in uh, Chicago, Illinois. And uh, I had to apply there formally to uh, be allowed to do that case. And I was granted um, uh, permission to represent that person in Chicago in their case. And then, yeah, and and maybe a couple years ago also, I did this for a case uh, in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. So although I'm not licensed to practice in Oregon, um, you know, and, and of course it's expensive for me to do that. If I was going to go to Oregon to represent you, it would be expensive, but I could represent you um, just through something called pro hoc vice. If the court there were so inclined to allow me to practice, there's a, you know, kind of a, uh, complex application process, but if I got through the process, um, I would be able to represent you. So, Oh, Okay, well, maybe I can call your office on Monday and, and um, ask them for more information about that, if that would be something I would start or that how I would go about doing that. Do you have a pen? I'm going to give you a telephone number to call. Sure. Yes, go ahead. Okay. On, you can actually call today. Um, my office, uh, I have a skeleton crew there on the weekends. <laughs> Hold on a second. Okay. Oh, okay. So you can call uh, area code 888-888-6582. Call that number. Tell them that you want to make a phone appointment with me for next Monday or Tuesday, and that we can talk okay. about uh, more of the details of representing you pro hoc vice or the possibility of doing it, um, okay. you know, Okay, yeah. Uh, what was the area time? code again? Did what did you say the area code was again? Eight eight right there? eight. Oh. Yes. Oh eight eight eight. Okay. Yes. So it's triple eight triple eight six five eight two. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you and good luck to you, ma'am. All right, thank you. Okay, I'm gonna take another call right now. Uh, it's area code 909, ending in 20. 
Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you. Did you have a story or did you have questions or both? Um, kind of both. <laughs> Let's go ahead and okay, um, go let ahead. me start with my let me start with my first uh, most important issue at the moment, which would be a substitution of attorney that was sent over to me. Um, the email that was sent, the attorney is claiming he wants to withdraw. The, but the substitution of attorney states that I am re- I am requesting to go pro per. So there's a conflict right there, and I'm not really sure what to do. Okay. Um, let me ask you this first. Where is your case? What county? San Bernardino County. Okay. So you're over there on Gilbert Street? Uh, actually, we are off of Arrowhead in the Family Court Services or Family Law Building. Oh, so- Okay, so you're you're in the family law case. This is this is not a juvenile case. Uh, it's kind of both, actually. Um, the the orders that were stipulated to um, via my attorney and opposing counsel last Friday, which actually had my daughter removed from my custody and placed into sole custody of my soon-to-be ex-husband, um, were based on a CPS worker's social worker's report or statements to the mediator, the CCRC. So there's a CPS CPS investigation um, that has directly contributed to um, my daughter being removed and giving me supervised visitation after having, you know, primary custody, custodial parent custody with no evidence. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. So um, how many children are we talking about? One. One daughter. Okay. Now, if your attorney sent you a substitution of attorney form, um, you have the choice of either signing it or not signing it. Right. Okay. Um, that's, what I, if, that's what I thought. But if you if if you don't if you don't sign it, your attorney has to continue representing you until and unless he goes to court and gets a court order taking him off of the case. Okay, and I guess the obvious question would be, why would I want to keep an attorney that doesn't want to keep me? That's exactly what I I was going to tell you. Um, Attorneys are human beings, and, you know, if an attorney doesn't want to represent you... um, I've always wondered, you know, uh, you know how that works out with the uh, the client and the attorney. Um, how long? I mean, I can always take my best educated. Uh, it was literally 14 days yesterday. <laughs> and he, he and he wants to get off the case. And he wants yeah, to get off the case right now. Yes, sir. No. Now, sometimes, you know, there are um, problems with attorneys. Sometimes there are problems with clients. Has something arisen between you and him that uh, would necessitate him not wanting to represent you? Well, the thing is I haven't received any explanation or reasoning as to why he would like to withdraw. I can only go based on what happened last week, last Friday, seven days ago, well, eight days ago now, um, in court. the first being that he showed up an hour late without notifying me, apologizing, or even giving me a reason. 
Um, and then, then kind of threw me under the bus. Kind of under the Didn't bus. have my response filed. And like I said, my daughter is now in the temporary sole custody of my ex-husband under a parental when is your, case. When is uh, your next court <laughs> hearing in family court? Uh, July 20th. Okay. So that's going to be what's called the uh, request for order hearing. And um, you're, going to, you're going to have to be prepared uh, to do that hearing because it's going to be, it can be like a mini trial. Uh, and right. you, it sounds, you know, you can do the case by just going and arguing. Um, but I, I don't usually recommend that to my clients. You should be there with an attorney who's going to put on a case for you to show that the child should be returned right. to you. Right. Now, I'm surprised that an attorney, and, and I don't know all the facts and situations here, mm-hmm. but I'm surprised that an attorney at an initial hearing, which probably was an ex parte hearing uh, this last Friday, yeah. why the attorney would agree to you giving up the child unless the child had been physically or sexually injured. Because there's a law in California that a judge in family law court cannot change custody of a child at an ex parte hearing like that unless there's, you know, basically grave danger to the physical and emotional health of the child. And the ex parte motion was actually brought before the court on 422 originally. Um, mm-hmm. Everything in the declaration and in the motion was thrown out on hearsay. The orders were denied and we were sent back to family court services for mediation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in between 422 and approximately 520, CPS became involved, false allegations were made, and you know how it goes. Um but there was no evidence to back it up, and there's still no evidence. The problem is, is that my response has never been filed. So, you know, the why, judge, why the commissioner on the case can only see what's in front of her. Well, why wasn't your response filed? Well, originally, I actually subbed out my original attorney of record um, up until 421. They subbed him out that morning. I couldn't afford him anymore, um, and I thought as of 125, when we got our interim orders, that we were done, and that all I had to do was handle my default judgment. Um, little did I know that my ex-husband caught wind of my subbing out and then brought me in on this ex-party motion on 422. Um, my attorney was still the attorney of record, should have been there. The hearing mm-hmm. should have been continued, but the commissioner didn't do that, and she went forward with the hearing. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> um, and that's what this attorney was going to remedy. You know, in his uh-huh. consultation with me, he was he had a strategy to get that original hearing dismissed or at least reheard. Um, I didn't right. know what I was supposed to respond to. I was in pro per. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, uh-huh. And so I... Even um, I was dumb enough and sent a letter to opposing counsel asking for an extension because I was trying to get advice from legal aid, whoever I could, a family law facilitator, on what I was supposed to respond to and how to respond. Um, and they denied my request. So when I went back on 516, I did not have a response filed. 
the judge chastised me and said to have one filed by 520. I retained counsel. He showed up and didn't have it filed. And he said, quote, unquote, it's obvious that my client has some severe issues that I need to address and investigate. I'd like 30 days to file a response. Oh, my goodness. He threw you under the bus. Yeah, he threw me under the bus, yeah. And actually, all of the allegations are false, and they're here saying, I was dumb. I allowed CPS into my home. I had nothing to hide. I tested twice for them. The the allegation was drug use. I don't use drugs. Mm -hmm. And I tested twice for CPS, which I found out subsequently is not admissible in court. (laughs) That's not true. um, It isn't. It isn't. It is admissible. Who told you that? Um, actually, the CPS worker. No, that's because I, have, I don't have a court order. She said I don't have a court order from the judge, and I was just doing it for them as an independent investigation. Okay, the when CPS worker. When she spoke with the mediator. Good. Sorry. The CPS worker gave you bad information. She either did that by mistake. Um, because she's not a lawyer. She can't tell you what's admissible and what's not admissible, or she did it on purpose. But either and her, way, her licensure it's, it's, is under investigation, too. I'm not sure she's even licensed. <laughs> but that's a whole other story. Hmm. Um, uh, so when she spoke with the mediator, she said that she requested a saliva test that I refused, but I was never asked for saliva. I gave two urine. Okay. Well, so. You know, there, there's a lot that can be done to try to regain custody of your child. How old is your child, by the way? She's six. Six? six and do you have visitation? I have supervised visitation. visitation. I don't have a schedule or, or an allotted time. No idea. No idea. Well, that's not good. You need a schedule. You know, frequency, yeah. how many times per week, and then uh, duration, how many hours or minutes are you allowed each visit? And when I started asking questions like that, you know, what's going on, what's happening with the plan, um, I, I guess he just decided to not deal with it anymore. And you won't answer my question. Well, I hate to say it, but maybe you're, yeah, I mean, if everything that you say is correct, um, and I, you know, I realize there's two sides to every story, but if everything that you're saying is correct, you might be better served by uh, getting another attorney. Oh, absolutely, and I definitely cannot walk into that courtroom representing myself again because I tried that once and I, you know, um, I offended yeah. the judge or the commissioner. This, this commissioner does not like sober people in her courtroom. And um, mm. it, it didn't go very well. So um, not that, you know, not that I'm the most tactful person, especially when I'm passionate about my daughter. Um, mm-hmm. But I had I had educated myself on the law, and she actually made a remark saying, it's obviously you've done your homework. Um, but she wasn't happy being challenged. So I can't do that again. I can't mm. risk my daughter again like that. Right. Well, you know what I what I would offer you, um we can't do it here on the show. By the way, number one, we have a separate talk radio show on Wednesday nights from seven to eight PM called Divorce and Family Law. 
Right. Uh, and I do that. Sh- I do that show with one of my associates, and a, a very experienced family law attorney, Raj Matani. And I would I invite met him. you to He's call. Oh, you did. Yeah, I actually came into your office last week. Oh, um, well, I would invite you to call back um, today, make an appointment to either speak to me in person or over the phone or via Skype, uh, and we can get into more (laughs) detail. Oh, we have a 4 o'clock appointment today? I believe we do. Yes, we do. But my main concern today was getting it out there about the CPS and how they falsely reported to the mediator. Um, and honestly, I'm not really sure if having my daughter back on Friday, if I had kept her in my custody, I'm not sure that they wouldn't have come and taken her anyway. And that's the uh, scary part. You know, so in a case like this, yeah. I really did, I really do need the juvenile dependency side along with the family court side. Um, right. Because, you know, had well, I kept can... her and their investigation kept going, mm-hmm. she's been taken. Well, we can definitely help you. And I look forward to speaking to you today <laughs> at 4 o'clock. Yeah, and thank absolutely. you for calling today. Thank right. you very much for all of your Bye-bye. help. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, I'm going to take another call. Area code 720, ending in 38. Hello? Good morning. You're on with the turn. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Um, you're on live. Did you have a story, a question, or both? Uh, both. <laughs> so basically, um, in 2013, December 2013, my uh, sister, who is a resident in California, Riverside County, was arrested, and um, she was sentenced to 15 years, seven, doing seven and a half, so half time. Um, her son at the time was being raised by herself and the father of the child and my mother. So my sister, the grandparent. And um, after the accident, um, my sister had a verbal agreement to leave the child with the father and my mother to take care of him while she was in custody the rest of her sentence. Well, the father, somebody called CPS on the father for drug abuse and not taking care of his son. So CPS came in, drug tested him, and he was asked to leave his residence. And at the time, my mom was taking care of the child. Well, my the paternal side, the paternal grandmother, decided to go and lie to my mom and say that she was going to pick up the child and take him to a pizza party and she'd bring him back. But her plan actually was to take him to make it look like she had been taking care of him this whole time and asked CPS if she could just be the foster parent. So basically lied. So CPS left him in her care. Well, it's been two years now almost in July, and she's been, um, he was awarded to the state. And this whole time, she we have no voice in this story. Um, and the judge has been very, very fair, and every time my mom has stood up in court and said, you know, the paternal grandma is not giving me visitation, she's threatening me, this and that. The judge has said, you know, this is unacceptable, you know, the maternal side needs to have time with him, but it was never court order. So therefore, the paternal grandmother is not following the rules. My question is, is 
now we're going to court in June because he's been in custody um, or been awarded the state for two years now. They're wanting to adopt him out. My question is, is why does my sister need to lose her rights? I understand the father is losing his rights because he's had chance after chance after chance with the judge. So it's like, where's her justice and where's our justice? Right. Well, at the very beginning of the case, the case, um, your sister should have, through her attorney, presented evidence that she had a plan for the child, and that plan was to leave the child with her mother. Had that been presented at court at the very beginning, uh-huh. the case may have been the case may have been even dismissed, or the child could have been placed with your mother. Also, I want to tell the listeners. If there is ever a dispute of where the child should be placed with the paternal grandmother or the mm-hmm. maternal grandmother or a dispute between any relatives, you're entitled to have a trial about that at the disposition hearing and at each six-month hearing. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of judges, a lot, I get the impression a lot of judges don't like to do that. They just leave it up to the social worker. Mm-hmm. But social workers make, social workers make mistakes. Yeah. Social workers are sometimes lied to. I'm on a case right now where the child is – the social worker was about to move the child to a woman who claimed that she was a relative of the mother's. Um, uh-huh. And first she was the first cousin. Then when we proved that that wasn't correct, she said, oh, she was a second or third cousin. We had to hire a private investigator to go look at, you know, birth records and marriage records and everything. Turns out this lady who just stepped forward and said she was a relative isn't a relative at all. Now, she happens to be a family friend, happens to Mm -hmm. be a family friend, but she's not a relative. And just because of that, um, the so, you know the lady lying to the social worker. The uh, social worker decided, well, I'm not going to place the child with you because you haven't been honest about the whole thing. Um, so they're leaving the child with the relative, you know, who really is a relative yeah. um, to begin with. But you know what happens in these CPS cases is that if the child is with a relative or a foster parent for a long period of time, and the child doesn't reunify with the parent, in this case, the father or the mother. Um, you know, that both of the parents can lose their rights. So this is a battle that the mother should have fought very early on. Uh, was she even, did she come to court or was she represented by an attorney or anything? She had a, she I guess, is it a public defender? Do you know if the public defender explained to her that she could get custody even though she was in jail and place the child with, a, you know, with another relative? I don't think so. I just know that my sister complained over and over again. You know, I keep calling my mom, and my mom's complaining that she's not getting visitation. So then every time we would go to court, her public defender would say, Your Honor, you know, the maternal's not getting, maternal side's not getting what they were promised. So then the judge has been very fair and said, No, that's not acceptable. And the judge is basically taking my sister's side and saying, You know, why have he was away from his mom for two years. Nobody took him. The foster parent never took him to go see his mom. She doesn't answer the the jail uh, phone calls. Doesn't write. Let him write to his mom. Nothing like keeping him away from his mom. And me, as the aunt, has 
drove him up to the prison several times to see his mother because that's not right. And the judge well, obviously wants my sister to have you know part in his life. Now, where is, what uh, state or county is your um, case in? Uh, Riverside. Okay. So Riverside has three juvenile courts, Indio, Marietta, and Riverside, in the city of Riverside. Which one do you go to? The, the one in Riverside, on County Road. Okay. So on County Farm Road, um, yep. in, that ju- in that juvenile court building, there are two juvenile dependency judges, one in yeah. J1, one in J4. So when you walk in the building, do you go to your left or your right? To the right. To the right. Okay, so you're in J1, and I believe the lady's name is Judge Jackson. Correct. Correct. Very nice lady. Very nice, very fair. Um, yes. And she's very, she's very family-oriented. Yes. Even if you didn't have that judge, but especially since you have that judge, what the mother should do or what the grandmother should do on the mother's side is you guys are both, you guys should talk to someone about filing what's called a 388 petition to have mm-hmm. the child moved to the maternal mm-hmm. side of the family. Because the okay. actions that the paternal grandmother is taking, especially the action of which she lied at the very okay. beginning of the case, um, should be brought to the judge's attention. And I think it, you can prove, you can, you know, you'll have a good shot. It's not guaranteed, but you'll have a good shot of placing that child back with the maternal side of the family in this particular instance because under these particular facts. Okay, and uh, do I have a chance of him being placed with me even though I'm just the maternal aunt? Because I've talked to many attorneys where they're like, you don't have a chance of getting him because you're the aunt. That's not true. Because the only reason why I have asked that is because my mother does have a criminal background um, it's not anything with child or abuse or anything like that, just drug issues and stuff. So if I take him, they're like, no, there's no way you could take him. They're like, you're the aunt. Okay, so um, whoever told you that told you incorrectly. So mm-hmm. under juvenile law, under juvenile law in the Welfare and Institutions Code, there is a section that defines what a relative is, and there's mm-hmm. another section that def- that defines the relatives who have preference for placement. And here are all the people that have preference for placement: the grandmother, the grandparents, the aunts and uncles, and adult siblings. So okay. if you're an aunt, you're on the yep. same level as a grand. You're you're on the same level as a grandparent. Oh wow! Okay. So you could get the child. So your question was, do I have a chance? The answer is yes. Now, if you were to ask me a different question, is it probable that I can get the child? That I don't know. I would have to look Mm -hmm. into the case, look through the reports, interview you more, interview your mother more, interview the mother on the case more to tell you whether it's going to be probable or not. But you definitely have a chance. Now, the other thing that you might want to consider and talk to a lawyer about is adoption may not be the best for this child given the fact 
that the mother's only, you know, sin is that she's in jail because she's getting out of jail. She's not on a life sentence. And number two, all of the maternal relatives are going to be cut off from um, this child if the paternal grandmother, she's already shown us what she feels and thinks about you guys. And it, it could be argued and proven in court that this would not be in the best interest of the child. So exactly. although there's a, big pre- there's a big preference and a financial preference to the county to adopt these children out, in this particular case, you might be able to stop an adoption or change an adoption um, just be- for this very reason. And, and if that were the case, the judge could order, I mean, just, you know, outright order that you have certain visitations, you know, frequency during the week, two, three, four times a week and different durations, you know, anywhere from two, three, four, eight hours, sometimes overnight with the child. Because in my opinion, the ch- if, when the child is around the entire family, both sides of the family, that's best for the child. Yes. You know, and, and I think, you know, and, and, and we see this all the time in juvenile cases and family law cases. You know, a grandparent gets scared that they're going to lose this child, so they, you know, maybe twist and turn and bend the rules a little bit, you know, because they want to make sure that they're, um, you know, they're raised, they raise this child. I have, I, I'll tell you a personal story. Uh, that was the case when I was a child. Um, my grandmother uh, raised me, and I love her to death. She's deceased now. But my grandmother ra- uh, raised me from the age of three years old. I didn't see my mother until I was 19 years old again. And one of the reasons was because my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, was, you know, a very controlling woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love her. She did, a, you know, I think she did a great job. But, you know, I grew up without my mom, you know. Uh, there's a whole lot of issues surrounding that, as you might imagine. But you yeah. Know, I, I, yeah, I I I I see this all the time in cases with different relatives, especially grandmothers. You know, there's you know issues about their relationship with the child, with the parent. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it gets really it's really complicated uh, uh, socially and psychologically and emotionally. But those are the things that you can do. If you would like to talk to me further about this, um, you can call me. Uh, if you get a pen, I'll give you the telephone number to call me. You can call okay. the day after 9 o'clock, and you can make an appointment to talk to me. Um, I think they even have pe- they've made some several appointments for me to talk to people today and uh, uh, several appointments to talk to people on uh, Monday and Tuesday. So you can uh, make an appointment to talk to me. If you have a pen, my telephone number at the office is is 888-888-6582. So that's 888-888-6582. Now, one of the things I do want to tell you, though, is there's a clock ticking away. And the longer you wait to do this, the less likely chance you have at succeeding. Well, so, yeah, we're already you know. going to we're going to court in June 21st, and that's when they're supposed to terminate parents' rights. Okay, once that happens, once the parental rights are terminated, you have no rights to the child. You're not related to the child yeah. anymore. Yep. So yep. you need to file something in front of Judge Jackson, like immediately. Yeah. Yes. So, do I? Can I? Is this something that? So, I need to file the 388. 
Correct. But first, you need to put the right. Yeah, but you but you need to put the right things in the 388. See, okay, most so people, I, you know, can I file that with you. Oh yeah, but we would prepare it. Okay. Perfect. Okay. I I just got a 388 the other day emailed to me uh, from an attorney who really doesn't practice in juvenile law. Um, Mm -hmm. And I read the 388, and it it was a fairly good 388, but it was missing a lot of things that she needed Mm -hmm. to add. And um, she's been an attorney almost 18 years, and, um, you know, in order to have a really good 388, she was still missing stuff, and she didn't know. You know, she didn't yeah. know. So I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest you try to file a three eighty eight on your own. But give me a okay. call, give us a call and, and we'll talk to you, okay? So I can give you a call today? You can give it after nine you can call my office, make an appointment to talk to me. And you know, I don't know what appointment they're gonna give you. I'm not at the office right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. they could give you something today, tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday. Okay. Okay. All right. Then we'll go ahead and do that. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for calling. Bye-bye. Okay, we have only about two minutes left in the show. I'm going to take one more call, uh, and hopefully it's going to be a quick call. Area code 808, ending in 42. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Well, I don't know what to say very quickly, but I... I need to have my attorney call you because they are just utterly torturing my family and there has to be some kind of recourse that I can take. I, I mean, I'm getting to the point where I think that there there has to be some way of filing criminal charges against these people for just completely violating a family's rights and well, this is what I, this is what I'd like you to do. You said aloha when you answered, and I know 808 is over, is in Hawaii. Is that where you are? Yes, yes. And I've talked oh. with you a, a few times, but I don't know how well you know Hawaii law. But my my attorney is that I just gotten is probably one of the best CPS attorneys in the state, and she's absolutely flabbergasted as to what to do with my case either. I know that at some well, well, do me a favor. Do me a favor, because we're running out of time this morning. I want you to take down this number, and I want you to give it to your attorney, and I want your attorney to call me. There may be issues of federal civil rights violations. Part of our practice is we sue social workers for, and counties for civil rights violations, so that might be a possibility that I can work with your attorney in Hawaii. If you're ready, okay. I'll give you the telephone number. It's triple eight triple eight. Six five eight two, eight eight eight, eight 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 six five eight two. Have her give me a call, and uh, if you still have questions for me, give me a call next Saturday at eight a.m. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, that's the end of our show today. Um, I want to remind everyone that elections are coming up in California, and uh, I want everyone to make sure they're registered. I believe you can register online and go out and vote. And you want to make sure that when you're voting for the judges, that you're voting for family-friendly judges who fight to help keep children and our families together. Thank you very much. I'll see you next week on the radio.